Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. You can find your seats. And uh, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in it uh, pretty much all fall semester. Um, we are actually going to do the book of Nahum uh, after this. So it's, it's coming. Uh, if you've never read the book of Nahum, it will take you all of like three minutes to read. Uh, it's a very short book, but we are finishing up 1 Corinthians. And uh, the title of our series has been The Cross because Paul is trying to get people to understand uh, this simple thing because our theme verse that he lays out is, for the message of the cross is foolishness, it's not clicking, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is God's power to us who are being saved. We've looked at this week after week for those of you who have been here, but the message of the cross, the message of the idea that God himself would come and not set up his kingdom to rule, but actually die and give his life for people that don't deserve it, that actually crucified him, and then later bring his kingdom because he's giving us an opportunity to make a decision about him. It's just a, that's not the way the gods of the world do things. All the other gods of the world dominate. They tell people what to do and when to do it. And so Paul is writing and saying, this message that we have of the cross is foolishness, to those who don't believe. It just seems ridiculous to give your life to people, to give your life in a world serving, giving things away to people who don't deserve it. But for us who believe in the power of God, it makes complete sense. And we're going to look at that power a little bit more today. Today's message is titled, Build Up the Church. Build Up the Church. And so one of the things that you get into is that so often in our culture, Western culture, unlike Eastern culture, in Western culture, we have this idea of the individual, that the individual is supreme overall. That wasn't the case in Eastern culture. In Eastern culture, most of the time, it wasn't the individual, it was the family or the tribe or the clan that ruled all. When God said he was going to make a people, he started with a person, but then he made a people. And what we've done is we've looked at people and said, I don't want to be a people, I only want to be a person. And we worship self, and we worship who we are above all else. And that's just not the way God designed the world to be. We are in community. We affect one another. We just came through a pandemic where we infected one another. That we can't get away from this idea that we're in a place that's interconnected on all levels. So what do we do with that? The Bible says that we're to give our lives for others so that they might see and be built up to see who Christ is. And so that those who have given their life to Jesus might be built up and prepared to go out into that world to make him known. And be built up and prepared for the kingdom that Jesus is building that he will bring one day. That's just the biblical message. It's the foundation And so many people are so concerned about building their own life and their own kingdom and their own family at the expense of not giving themselves to a people. And the number one reason you know this and the number one thing you will hear that proves this is, well, I don't go to church because it's full of... Well, Jesus came to the earth and it was full of... He gave his life... To a bunch of hypocrites. Peter was a hypocrite. I won't deny you, Lord. Three times he denies it. Judas was a hypocrite. They were all hypocrites. You see, 
The idea of giving ourselves to people, to saying, I'm going to surrender, I'm going to be a part of something bigger than myself, and not something that I get to control, but something I submit myself to, and that I get to be a part of and have a, a say in, is just weird. But it's the biblical mandate that we're going to look at today. And Paul brings up one of the most controversial subjects of the church when he talks about this, especially the modern church in the last 100 years. And he keeps repeating this phrase, we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he keeps, or 14, he keeps repeating the phrase, build up the church, or building up the church, over and over and over. Who's Paul writing to? A church, a people, a group of people. Why is he writing to them? Because they're not getting along. <laughs> they're not obeying God and they have major issues. That's why we have all the letters of the New Testament. Because they were all hypocrites. And Paul is trying to clarify to them what it means to have a relationship with God and what it means to be in community with one another and give them a foundation by which to build on. And we ignore that at our peril. Here's what we've looked at over the last several weeks. I'm not going to read all of those, but Paul lays the foundation of Christ. He begin, then talks about like, specific sins and issues. Then Paul begins to, to address the questions that the first Corinthian church sent to him. He starts to walk through these questions. And in chapter 12, Paul makes a transition. In chapter 12, he starts to talk about things from the Spirit. You can go back and listen to that message. But in that chapter, Paul talks about what the Holy Spirit is designed to do. And if you don't understand that, this chapter is going to make it be a little strange to you. But just remember, the basic purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal who Jesus is. That's what Jesus Christ himself said, was to be a counselor of the truth of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. It's not to show off. It's not to do a bunch of crazy stuff. It's literally to be sure Jesus is shown to the world and to be sure that truth is upheld. That's the role. And if you forget that, this chapter Seems really confusing if you drop in. But if you remember that, then you remember that if we've got Jesus and we're being built up in Christ, then we will become like Christ, which means we will give ourselves to hypocrites. That's what we do. Doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable. Doesn't mean we don't call them hypocrites. Jesus did. It just means he said there's a way past it. And so chapter 12, we looked at what was from the Spirit. And then Paul does this amazing thing in this letter. When he starts talking about these spiritual crazy things, he pauses. We'll look at that in a second. And he drops in an entire chapter about love. We need that today. We need to remember that in the midst of controversies, we have to remember that our focus is not to be right about something it's okay to be right. We should be right. But it's to ask yourself, am I doing this in a spirit of love and compassion and truth? And remember, Jesus lovingly whipped people out of the temple. Right? He, you can lovingly hurt people. And you can meanly hurt people. <laughs> you can torture people and you can just kill them. One is worse than the other. 
And we don't like to think that way, but that's exactly what Paul lays out. And he starts to talk about love. Mark did that sermon. Last week, I skipped over it so we could talk about, because once Paul talks about love and he talks about the Spirit, he immediately makes sure to go back to the gospel, to clarify the gospel about Jesus he was talking about before after he talks about this controversy, and reminds them there is a resurrection coming, which means you can lay down your life to build up the church and build up the body, Because it's not about you and it's not about this earth. And so there's another world, there's another way, there's another place you're living for. There's a future you're living for. So you can sacrifice now. You can give your life now because there's something better that's coming. We know this in every other area of life. But when it comes to Christ and his church, it's like we've forgotten that. You know this in sports. Athletes know that you put in the price and the sacrifice and the exercise if you want to get to the other side and get the win and be the athlete you need to be. We know it in music. You practice and you practice so that you can perform. We know this in every other area of life. We think through this and we know the outcomes, but then when it comes to our spiritual life, it's like nothing practical. (laughs) We just want God to do miracles and show up. And so Paul says it's about building the church. So we jump in, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He looks at this first Corinthian church and he reminds them, now you are the body of Christ. Pause for a second. What he reminds them is Jesus has left the earth and he has said that the way we do church, the way that we do what the Holy Spirit's work is in our life of of showing Christ and giving people the truth, he says we'll show who Jesus is to the world. It will expose what we believe about the person of Jesus Christ. What we believe about his mission when he came, what we believe about his mission when he's going to come again. And he says, we're a body, we're many parts. He goes on. And he says, you are individual members of it. We're many parts of it, he says in chapter 12. And God has placed these members, these different parts, in the church. And then he gives a list of some things. This isn't all the things, but he gives a list. He says, first apostles, then second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healings, helping, managing, various kinds of languages. Pause for a sec. He says, here are just some of the things that God has ordered. And of course, it would follow that God appoints who first? Leaders. It'd be like if you said, well, it kind of starts like this. There's a mom and there's a dad. And then they have sex and they have a baby. And then there's a baby, and then there's another baby. So there's a brother and a sister. And then they grow old, and then that baby finds another. And all that, that, it's the same thing. It starts with an authority. It starts with someone in control who can reproduce and who holds everyone else accountable. That's how our world works. Listen, if we don't have leaders, we'll kill each other. It's a guarantee. If we don't have some kind of fear of authority and people around us, we'll just go off a cliff doing what we want. We will. Or you'll be the person who does it and you'll work so hard that eventually you'll just quit because you're tired of working when no one else is held accountable to work. And you'll just give up. You won't hurt anybody, you'll just quit. Which is what we see happening in the church today so often. And so Paul is writing and he says, the first thing you've got to realize is that if you have a relationship with Christ, you cannot separate yourself from the body of Christ. That's like severing off a hand and saying, look at the beautiful hand that's laying there with its, you know, tendons sticking out and blood squirting. That's beautiful. No, that's awful. It's something's terribly wrong if you're separated from the body. But in today's culture, we accept that as normal. 
It's absolutely normal for people to call themselves Christians and not be connected in any way to God's people. I do not understand that on any level. It is really hard for me to understand that. Again, I get it. Hypocrites. Guess what? If you can't come to church because of hypocrites, it probably means you're a hypocrite. Because you're ignoring what the Bible says and what Jesus did when he came to hypocrites to be ridiculed, persecuted, made fun of, and everything else, and crucified in his own church. Jesus was killed in his own church. Think about that for a minute. And so Paul writes, he goes on and he says this. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? I love when Paul goes on these rants of like, okay, we get it, right? But he has to go on these rants because we're just that dense. We have to hear the same thing over and over again in our lives, typically before it gets through our thick heads. And Paul's like, so yes, there's all these appointed things, but you have to, you have to help yourself understand what part of the body you are and to understand that you have Christ you have the Holy Spirit you have the Bible but you also have people around you I've said this before but there is nothing more tragic I don't laugh at the American Idol and the voice contestants and all the others that get up in front and they can't sing a lick and everybody's laughing and I think what a tragedy that no one was honest enough in that person's life to simply pull out a tuner and go, you can't sing a B-flat. It's not, you don't have the gift. I love you. I'm telling you, you don't have it because I love you and I don't want you to be embarrassed, ridiculed, and mocked in life. Stop it. Now, here are some things you are good at. Here are some things you do have gifts in. And let me tell you, I need that in my life just as much as you all do. There is one thing in this church that I am not allowed to do when we have church functions. There are two men in this church that will make sure that I do not do it. What is that act to those two men? No, yeah, play basketball is one. Cooking. Cooking. I'm not allowed to play basketball because I'll hurt myself. Anyway, cooking. I am not allowed to grill. If either of those two men see me on the grill, it's like, hey, Matt, you know, go talk to some people. Go meet some people. You're good at that. We got the grill. I run a steakhouse. Greg just runs his own incredible meat house. And it's like, those two guys will take over for me. And I don't look at them and go, how dare you? I cook meat at home just fine. You will let me cook meat because I am the pastor of this church. How dare you? I admit They are way better gifted than I am. And when the meat gets served, everybody agrees. They're way better gifted than I am. Now that sounds funny because it's meat, but when it comes to like spiritual things, sometimes we can cast judgment. Churches can say, well, if you're not just like this, then you don't fit here. Versus saying, well, let's be patient. Let's see how we can fit people in. Let's not make a bunch of regulations and rules that people have to be a certain way. There are laws, there's authority and truth we need to live by, but we're not talking about sin here. We're not talking about this is what God says is wrong, this is why what God says is right. We're talking about God giving gifts to believers through the power of the Holy Spirit saying, here is a gift you didn't ask for. Here is something that you have that I want to give you. There's nothing we hate more than being told 
we're not gifted to do something that we love to do or want to do. And there's nothing more controlling, more controlling than telling people they can't do something that they're gifted to do. And between those two things is the mess of the church. And we're patient with one another and we let it play out and we look at what God says about the gifts. And so Paul says, look, you can't do these things. I've always thought, man, it'd be so cool to have the gift of healing. Just walk up and be like, you're healed. You're healed. You're healed. The miracle gift. Not the one you have to go eight years to school for. I don't, I don't want that gift. I don't want that gift of healing. I want the miracle gift of healing. The one that costs me nothing. I just get to do it. Right? It's another problem with gifts. See, if God gives you a gift, you prove out that gift most often by how you live it out. You can say you have a gift. For example, if the guy's cooking meat, say, oh, I have the gift of cooking the meat, but you never see them cooking meat, you're like, well, then you don't have the gift. If you don't want to do it, if you don't want to learn how to better do it. I mean, that's what we do with a gift. When I'm given a gift, if I appreciate the gift, I want to use it to its full potential, which means I want to study it, I want to know it, I want to be so good at it, I want to know the ins and outs of it so that I can be a blessing to others. And when it comes to these miracle gifts that Paul writes about in this chapter, it's like, no, those are only miracles. Do you realize everything is a miracle? It is a miracle that the earth isn't one degree, one direction or the other, we couldn't exist on an axis and in orbit. It's a miracle. It is a miracle you don't die with all the disease and mess in our world. It's a miracle that you have breath and life. I mean, there's, it's a miracle that you're in the United States of America and not in some country that wouldn't allow us to gather today. See, we don't see the miraculous anymore. We only see the things we want to see. And Paul is writing and saying, you've got to see the body of Christ for the miracle it is. It is a miracle that any of you obey. It's a miracle that any of you want to serve. It's a miracle that you guys aren't killing each other. Now, let's talk about how to do that well. Paul goes on, he says, but desire the greater gifts in chapter 12, and I will show you an even better way. So Paul says, desire the greater gifts. And the first question is, okay, what are the greater gifts? Thank you for asking, Paul says. He says, I want to show you the greater gifts. I want to show you the better way to desire gifts. If I speak human or angelic languages but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I wanted to go get the cymbal upstairs. They have some drums upstairs. And I want to just stand here and pound it during the greeting time. I was so tempted to be like, what is he? That is so annoying. Stop. And see how many of you would come up and be like, stop it. But so many times in the church, that's what we do with gifts. Well, this is my gift. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to use it. You can't tell me no. And you try to come alongside people and coach them how to use that gift lovingly. They want no part of it. And Paul says, look, the greatest gift is the gift of love. And then he says, now these three things remain. The gifts may go away, but these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest gift we've ever been given is love of God. The greatest miraculous gift we were ever given was Jesus Christ becoming man and God in the flesh at the same time paying the penalty for our sin that the entire Old Testament had no idea how is this going to happen. How is God going to pay for our sin? How are we going to be free? They long to know what we know, Paul says. 
It is the greatest miracle, and it's the greatest act of love. And it's the greatest act of love that after we crucified Jesus and he came back to life, that he went back to heaven and didn't stay here and kill us all. It was his love that sent him back to heaven to say, I will give more time for people to repent. I will wait until more are brought in when he had every right to destroy us all, like he did with Noah. Galatians 5.22 says this about the greater gifts of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can do as much of these gifts as you want. There's no law over you. Don't, you can't cook meat, Matt. Stop it. There's no law. There's no guy saying, Matt, you're not gifted to cook meat. No, these gifts are given to all of us to do it as much as we want. We can be as self-controlled as we want to be. We can put as many barriers in our lives to control ourselves and have people hold us accountable as we want. We can have as much love as we want. I don't mean the, the earthly version of love where we just love people and let them get by with everything. A real love that says, I love you enough to tell you no, don't do that. It will kill you. It will hurt you. We can have as much patience as we want. You can be like, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to get in a hurry. I'm going to believe you for this. See, these, these are the greater gifts these are the miraculous things that only the Spirit can do in us because you can't have true biblical kindness, true biblical patience, true biblical love, true biblical self-control if the Holy Spirit isn't doing it. It's just fleshly and earthly and you'll quit. And it'll be empty. And yet, we want to have arguments about healings and tongues and all this other stuff and we miss the greatest miracles that God is doing right here in our own family. We miss the greatest miracles that are happening in your heart when you see yourself be more loving to that coworker and you wanted to punch him in the nose. That's the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. And we don't, we don't see that as miraculous, which is why Paul's writing to them and he's saying, look, I want you to desire the greater things that you cannot do. There are people that can babble in tongues. There are people that can learn a language and speak it. These things, to do them truly, biblically, you can't do without the miraculous power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that. So what does it desire, look like to desire? He goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love. He repeats himself, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And above all, that you may prophesy. Desire spiritual gifts. In other words, desire to be a blessing to the church and build up the church with the blessings and gifts God has given you. Desire that. Don't be like, well, I'm just a loser. God hasn't, God's given me the blessing of being the appendix which has no purpose in the body of Christ. You can just remove me and it's nothing. God's like, if that, Paul's like, if that's your thought, stop it. You should desire the gifts of the Spirit in Galatians. You should desire to want God to reveal to you the gifts he's given you, which he will do your whole lifetime. God can give you gifts when you need them that you didn't know you had. Sometimes he just holds out to show you a gift. And he waits. And he's like, there you go. I'm still here. I'm still God. And you're like, how did that happen? And he gets all the credit for the miracle he did because you weren't ready for it. 
And he says, above all that you may prophesy. Remember what prophesy means. Prophesy does not mean tell the future. Write that in your Bible. That is not what prophesy means. Prophesy means tell the truth about God publicly. Prophesying means that you're telling the truth about God. You're saying, this is what's true about God. This is what's true about the world. This is what's true. That's what prophesy means. Now, prophecy can be future telling. But in scripture, that's very rare. We only have a couple of books that have like a lot of future telling in it. I mean, there's prophecy sprinkled throughout. But if you look at like really future telling books, there's only a couple. Most of prophecy is past telling. Let me say that again. Most of prophecy is past telling so you don't do the same stupid things now and in the future. (laughs) It's looking at the past and saying, if I do that, this is how it ended up for them. There's my future. And if I do this, I'm going to end up like them. So I just want to honor God and build up my body and build up the body of Christ and do what he says to do. That's prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.2 goes on and says, For the person who speaks in another language... Now he's answering the language question. He started in chapter 12. He broke off to talk about how to love one another. Is not speaking to men, but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification. Edification means building up. Encouragement and consolation. So we edify one another, we build one another, we encourage each other with the word of God and the truths of God and with, who, with God's character. We console one another with who God is and his truth in scripture. And then verse four, it says, the person who speaks in another language builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. So Paul even says, if, if you're speaking in tongues, if, which is what people call it today, but it's languages, these are real languages, if you're speaking in these languages, he says, the one who speaks in a language, it's really more about you than it is building up the church. And that's okay. God sometimes just says, hey, I love you, and gives us a gift and, like, helps us. But he says, that's, it's not so much building up the church. What truly builds up the church is making sure that people know what you're saying. I, I could get up here and read to you out of Grudem's systematic theology week after week. It would be absolutely true. It would be scriptural. And I could just read it like this in monotone and send you home. And it wouldn't be wrong. I'd be sharing the truth. That's not prophesying. That's just like giving you information. Prophesying is saying, look, I'm trying to build you up. I want you to see what Paul wants, to build his church up. He goes on and he says this. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. We have people that speak other languages in here. And if we had them get up on a Sunday morning and read to you scripture in the language they're studying, that would be cool. You'd be like, well, that's nice. But then you would hope that someone would get up and go, that passage that that person just read in their native language is from this book, and I encourage you to follow along in your English version or, you know, to see it. If we don't do that, you'd be like, that was weird. And Paul is saying, I went, listen, 
He says, I wish all of you knew another language. Why would the Apostle Paul want us to know other languages if you know Paul's heart for the world? Why would Paul want us all to know other languages? We can't fulfill the mission of God to fulfill the Great Commission and take it into the world if we don't know other languages. Now, is he talking about the miraculous here? Yes, but he's also talking about not just the miraculous, but also the study of languages. I wish all of you would study a language, that you could meet people. We live in a town of international people, and the more languages we know, the more opportunities we have to say hello, welcome, and in their native tongue. Have you ever been someplace and been able to speak a native tongue and see the people's reaction when you do it? It's amazing. Or the same, you go to a foreign country and you're just looking, is there anyone who speaks English? And you finally find that English speaker and you're like, thank God, thank you that I finally can find the subway. You know what I mean? Because I've been wandering around and everybody's like smiling at me, you know, and like, you don't, can't help me. And yet when it comes to the church, God's like, look, I get that there may be a moment where where miraculously you speak in another language, but there is an order to that, and it's typically to build you up, not to edify the entire church, but prophecy, telling the scriptures, telling about the character of God, whether you do that in another language or you do it in the known language, is what we're all shooting for. That's the goal. That's the end result. It's why we have translators who are translating the languages of hundreds, if not more than hundreds of people around the world through Wycliffe Bible translators, through our church planting partners. They are going out and trying to translate the Bible into their native language so that they can actually hear the things of God, see his character, understand who he is. Paul goes on, he says, but now brothers, if I come to you speaking another language, how will I benefit you unless I speak with you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? There's no benefit if I come and just babble to you. I've got to explain it. There's got to be an explanation to it. He goes on and he says, even inanimate things produce sounds, whether flute or harp. If they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? Have you ever been in a warm-up room of a band competition? Or right before the orchestra plays when they're all playing their instruments and you're like, you're just sitting there and it's like, oh goodness, I hope this ends soon. Right? Guy on the timpani's like, blah, 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 you know, and the, they're all different notes, and it's just like, I know what they're doing, and I'm getting through it, but I can't wait till the conductor stands up, and the conductor stands up, and all of a sudden it's like, woo. And you're like, oh, finally. I was so over that. And then he directs, and every person is looking to hit every note that the director gives on time, exactly how he says. And they're ready and they've prepared themselves. See, most of the time we want the miraculous gifts. We don't want to prepare for the miraculous. We don't want to discipline our lives in a way that gets us ready for the miraculous, which Galatians talks about, where he says that we deny the flesh, we we kill the flesh, we crucify the cross, kill the flesh so that we can have the spiritual things. No, we just want God to do spiritual stuff to prove himself to us. And Jesus said, if that's your heart, you're wicked. He said it two times. If you're looking for a sign and a wonder, that's a wicked heart. If you're looking for a relationship with me, I'll do things that you can't believe. That's what Jesus says. He goes on, he says, in fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? I love that, right? Like, you can see the bugle player, and he's like, and you're like, what was that? 
Like we're waiting for the revelry to know to go left or right or straight. And the trumpeter's back there like with an embouchure that's weak. Dude, you got to work on your embouchure. That's your lip tone, by the way, for your playing an instrument. And if he doesn't have a good embouchure and he doesn't know what to play, then it just confuses the army. He goes on, he says, in the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you'll be speaking into the air. See, the tongue is a powerful thing. This is what James says about the tongue. He says, so too, through the tongue, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a word of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our body. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of a life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. Welcome to politics in America. If we would just shut up and do the right thing, but everybody's got to give their opinion. That's why social media has just kind of wrecked our society. I'm not saying whether it's right or bad or good. It's just, it's just the tongue does that. When you just have the right to say whatever you want, whenever you want, and you think that's your right, you're going to get punched in the nose. It's like common sense. And Paul says, or James goes on and he says, every sea, creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. In other words, it takes the Holy Spirit to tame your tongue. It takes the Holy Spirit to get your tongue under control. You ever been in an argument with a family member? It either takes you storming out, which is one version of control, or it takes you shutting your face and not speaking anymore. Goes on, it says, it is a relentless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with the tongue, and then we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. We don't use it for the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can you imagine if you were going around telling people how loving, how joy-filled you are, how wonderful, how self-controlled God has made you to be, that look at what God is doing in my life, and we were doing more of that. Instead, we're going around with our tongue and causing all kinds of problems, Prophecy is going around and saying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control about God's character. That doesn't mean we don't call out the evils. We just say, that's not loving. And I'm going to tell you it's not loving. That's not being patient. That's not gentle. That's not truthful. Paul goes on and he says, or James goes on and says, praising and cursing come out of the same mouth, the same hole. (laughs) My brothers, these things should not be this way. We should be people that look to praise God and point people to his praise. It doesn't mean we don't call out sin, but it's not our job to curse people. It's our job to tell them they're already judged and cursed without Jesus. And they desperately need him. Because you know why? I'm a hypocrite who desperately needs Jesus. Paul goes on to say, There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and all have meaning. That's key. Paul says all of them have meaning. This idea that we just babble and there's no meaning behind it, no, they all have a meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. I just explained that a moment ago. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. He says it again. Seek to excel with your gifts, not in showing off your gifts and saying, well, I can do this miracle and I can do that miracle. And the appendix is over here feeling really bad about himself. 
Because I don't know that I do anything except exist in the body. It's like, be careful how you exercise. There's not one gift better than another gift. It takes all the gifts, Paul says. And he says, are you seeking to excel with your gifts and building up the church? Hear me out on this. Tune in. Or are you seeking to excel with your gifts so that people like you, you get clicks, so that you're recognized, so that you feel like you're loved and cared for? Are you using your gifts as a means to get something or are you using your gifts because you realize you've already been given everything and you just want to give it back? That's what Paul's writing. He's saying, if you truly believe you have salvation, if you truly believe you have the gift of God given to you, then why aren't you telling people? Like, use the gift, show them. If I got a gift, I would show you my gift. If you came over and I was excited about a new gift, I'd be like, look at what my wife got me. Look at what we bought. This is so cool. I'm so excited about my gift. And then when it comes to Jesus and the church, we're like, yeah, it's a bunch of hypocrites and it's really hard and Jesus is just so difficult to follow. Well, no one's going to want to follow. Yeah, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, we got to be careful how we speak. We can speak truth that, yeah, there are false teachers. There are, fault, there are problems. There are issues. It's a mess. But we should say, but isn't it amazing that God still is patient with us and hasn't destroyed us all yet? Praise God. He goes on. He says this. Therefore, the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret for if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the uninformed person say amen at your giving thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? Paul's saying, look, I get that you might be able to sing. You might be able to give praise. You might be able to pray in another language. That's great. But, but what's your motive in doing that? So you can show off that I got another language? Or it's because you really like, want to show the body that there are people who know this, that there might be someone in the room of that nationality that you want to use that language with. He goes on, he says, for you may well be giving thanks, but the other person, he says it again, is not being built up. You're doing a gift for yourself. You're not doing a gift with the thought of how do I build the people in the room up? How do I build others up? How do I build my family up? He goes on to say, I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others than 10,000 words in another language. You know what the percentage on that is? I did the percentage. I love, you know, we do math in this church a lot because math is like the only truth thing we have left, kind of. They're trying to undo that too, but like... If you, if you do what Paul says, you will speak understanding words 99.9995% of the time. You will speak in tongues 0.0005% of the time. And there are churches, which I believe is a false teaching, who will tell you that if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. That it's evidence that you really don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in a tongue. When Paul said, do all speak in tongues? I don't agree with that. I don't deny the fact that God can make people speak in tongues. I can't do that because it's in Scripture. But Paul lays it out and says, look, this should be a percentage no-brainer. He goes on to say this. 
It follows that speaking in other languages is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. In other words, the reason you're speaking in a language is so that hopefully unbelievers will hear the language you're speaking, know Jesus, and repent. Right there. And then he says, but prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. You say, well, wait a minute. we got to preach the gospel. Hold on. Look at what he says. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages, and people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your minds? Yeah, they will. They'll be like, this place is nuts. There seems to be no order here. People are bouncing off the walls. I don't, I, this is not, no. He goes on and he says, But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all and is judged by all. He says it's the body of Christ. The secrets of of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he, that lost person, will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Every week I preach, every time someone else preaches, That's what I want to see. I want you, I want me to come to a place, I want people who don't know Jesus to come to a place where they hear this word, they see the message of the cross, they see who Jesus is, and they finally, like I did when I was 18 years old, fall on their face like I did in my dorm room and say, God, I'm done, you are real, I'm finished, I just want you. And Paul says that's what will happen when we're doing what God wants and walking in the Spirit. So Paul goes on and says, what then is the conclusion, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another a language, or an interpretation. But all things must be done to edify the body. Your gift is not to be used arrogantly or as a weapon or as I am better than. It is to be used so that you can help build each other up and edify one another, and build the church. He goes on and says, If any person speaks in another language, there should only be two, or at the most three, in each turn. And someone, look at this, must interpret. Must interpret. If there is no one to tell you what the person's saying, Paul says, but if there is no interpreter, that person should keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. I keep silent about a lot of things all day long. When I'm on the job site working construction, there's a lot I keep quiet about. I want to just scream, you're all perishing and going to hell. That's probably not the best method of evangelism with a bunch of construction guys. It may be true. I don't know if it's true for them because I haven't had a conversation with all the guys, most of the guys I have. I could do that, but it's better for me to be silent, to pray, to ask God for an opportunity, and then to carefully have conversations with the guys as I'm working with them. That's what Paul did as a tent maker. He goes on and he says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. Do you guys realize there are people that evaluate me every Sunday in this church that I listen to? You know that there have been multiple times that People have come to me and challenged me, and I've come back to you probably, probably about four or five times in our church over the last 11, 12 years where I've actually apologized to church because someone challenged me on something, and I was wrong, and I came back and told you, hey, I'm sorry, I misspoke there. I, I, I didn't tell the truth about that passage, and so someone confronted me, and I just wanted to ask your forgiveness. 
I've done that four or five times in the life of our church. Because there are men in this church who have lives that back up their gifts who will challenge me. There have been times when they've challenged me and I've explained myself and they've been like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm just seeing this badly. See, I'm not above reproach. I'm not above being challenged. If I'm prophesying and I say something wrong, someone needs to confront and I need to repent. With any gift, it should be that way. If someone's up here on stage and the music's all about them and you can just tell, they're like, it's all about me, I'm showing off, see me, we should be like, no, stop. It ain't about you. It's about you leading people. That doesn't mean we can't have joy. You've seen me lead worship before. I'm not like Jason. We're very different. Jason's a little more laid back, melancholy, chill. And I'm like, ah, you know, and I'm singing and laid, you know, it's just me. That's my personality. It's not right or wrong, but if it's trying to draw attention to myself and not to Christ, then it's evil and wrong. He says, if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. In other words, there's sometimes when you have something to say that you just need to wait to see if somebody else says it. Maybe a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. You can wait a long time. God waited a long time to say certain things. He waited 400 years to say anything about his son. 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Well, then I never get to say it. Yeah, you do. You get to say it to God. Hey, God, I'm going to say this to you. I know you'll do it someday. And if it's not through me, through somebody else, I just want to say thanks for letting me know this information. You're awesome. He goes on, he says, for you can, look at this, you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. Paul says, I want all of you to prophesy. Not all of you are going to speak in tongues. Not all of you are going to do certain miracles or certain gifts in the church, but all of us can tell the truth about God. And I want all of us telling the truth to one another about God. That's discipleship. That's a family. That's us last night having a prom dinner at our house and having conversations with parents and talking about the truths of God with, with parents, encouraging them in their faith, challenging some of them in their faith, telling the stories of what God had done in our lives, how he brought Susan and I together and prepared me for ministry. And we're sitting, serving these students in the other room, serving them their meal. And I'm in the other room and we're talking about God and Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And then somebody else would chime in. Another person would be like, oh, this is what he did in my life. And all of a sudden, there's three or four parents you could see growing increasingly uncomfortable because they don't have Christianity as their guide. And they're like, this is weird. They're having conversations about Jesus like we're in church, but we're in their living. Like, it just kind of got weird for a minute. That's okay. We weren't trying to make it weird. We were just prophesying about how great God was. Finally, Paul wraps up. 1432. And the prophets' spirits are under the control of the prophets. You're not the only one, Matt, Mark, Luke, Brian, any of you have given a testimony up here. You're not the only one that prophesies. So don't think you're the only one. Make sure that you understand that we have equality to challenge one another and talk about the word of God. And I can tell about who God is and you can tell about who God is and we can do that together. And that's the point of the body is that we share the same blood that flows through our veins. 
the blood of Christ that heals us to give us strength and to do what we need. Since God is not the God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I love how Paul says God is not a God of craziness. He's not all over the place. God is a God of peace. Now, God's peace can look very warlike because God doesn't stop doing peace to do war. He does war very peacefully. He doesn't stop one part of his character to do another part of his character. He's always the same all the time. But there's a certain sense of you know when things are getting disorderly. It's why we have an order of service. It's why I'm presenting to you. It's why we do things orderly in our church. Why we have small groups and there's a place for us to share. It's why we do things the way we do them. Is it perfect? Nope. Am I a hypocrite? Yep, so are you. Which is why we need the cross. It's why we need the church. It's why we have to build one another up so that we can tell the world through our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gifts he's given us, we can tell one another, build each other up to send each other out to be his witnesses to the world and to show God the miracle that you've been changed. And there is nothing more powerful than the miracle of a changed life. Nothing more powerful than a miracle of a surrendered life. And I can tell you that there are people watching that miracle in your life this week. And they're watching whether you're going to build yourself up and your ego up or whether you're going to build God up and build his people up. And whether you're going to invite them to be a part of that God and a part of that people. That's what Paul's laying out here. This whole tongues thing isn't complicated. Do we practice it well here? No, because I don't speak in tongues and there aren't many who've come who I can trust their leadership who do speak in tongues. If someone did, would I deny it? No, the Bible says not to stop people from doing it. But there are people who are gifted in languages in our church who have studied multiple languages, who have shared the gospel in those languages in their classes. So we, do we give them no credit? Because that's not a miracle. It's not a miracle that God gave them knowledge. It's not a miracle God gave them the ability to learn languages like many of us struggle with. It's not a miracle that he did all that. So we just kind of ignore that guy. But the special guy that's like going off the walls, oh, that's obviously the Holy Spirit. It might be. But why don't we recognize and raise up people who have disciplined their life with the gifts God has given them. We did that this fall when we had you give testimonies. And let me tell you, you can give testimonies of your giftedness. Just be sure it's your giftedness. And the way you know you're gifted in something is if the body tells you you're gifted in it. It's mutual submission to one another. You don't come to the church and say, this is what I'm gifted in, you will do it. That's pride. You come to the church and say, I think this might be what I'm gifted. This, I, I think, but you, you quietly serve and then wait. That, that's the way the scriptures are written. And hopefully we engage one another long enough to have a trust. It's like raising a family. You don't know how your kids are gifted when they're one year old. Give it some time. You might see some of the things they're gifted at. You'll see their sin pretty clearly at one and their personality. But it takes time to see the giftedness that God brings. And so you need to be built up as we're waiting on that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the message of who you are in your word. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you do miraculous things. Lord, help us to see the miracles of you building your church.
Lord, it's a miracle that any of us are sitting here this morning and we're not in bed just sleeping and being selfish. It's a miracle that any of us are willing to to be challenged by your word and to be taught and to sit and listen. That's a miracle because people don't sit and listen anymore. Lord, it's a miracle that we have the ability to go out and speak and and tell people about who you are. Lord, it's a miracle that you're, you're changing us from the inside out if we know you. And Jesus, it was the ultimate miracle that you gave up heaven. You gave up everything to come to earth to pay the price we could never pay for our sins, to take the cross that we deserve and you took it and you made the greatest exchange in human history, the greatest miracle to ever happen, to fulfill all of the prophecy of scripture to become our savior. And so Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who, has, who doesn't know you, they've never crossed that line with you. They've been trying to build their life up and build their ego up and build their self-esteem up and they're just empty or they're just prideful. I pray that today would be the day they finally fall on their face like we read and Paul said and say, God, I cry out to you. I'm done. I surrender. And Lord, this is happening today in churches all over the world. There are people surrendering their lives to you right now. And that is a miracle. And we thank you for it. And Lord, we praise you for the gifts in your body. Help us to understand our gifts. Even if it's just serving like was listed or or being merciful, Lord, those are gifts. And help us to understand the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, for those who need to surrender, help them to say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me. I recognize that I'm a hypocrite. I'm a mess. But I believe that you are who you say you are and you can change me. And for those of us who are believers, I pray that we would remember the day when we made that decision and cling to it with faith, hope, and love and let you change us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.